Fab. Thanks. Good, it's nice to chat and uh, the opportunity to continue to chat at the end of service when we have tea and coffee and biscuits and stuff. So do please hang around for that. Now, throughout your life, if you're an average person, you will walk approximately 75,000 miles. (laughs) Some of you clearly less. Or don't like the thought of that. Some of you will run them, I suppose, or uh, whatever. So that is kind of... So the average person will take 2,496,235 steps in a year. Does that sound like a lot? That is quite a lot. And now some steps are more significant than others, aren't they? Now, I told you a couple of weeks ago that... um, I got a Fitbit for Christmas, so it's still January, so I'm still wearing it, and uh, it's near the end of January, so who knows. And I, I worked out, as I, I said, that um, it's not just when you take steps, it also records a step when you clap, which is really good. So a couple of weeks ago, when I saw my, went to see my team Derby County play, uh, when I'd come out, I noticed I'd taken 2,000 steps, more than I thought. Which is amazing, isn't it? Then the week after, I went to see Aston Villa play. And when I came out, it registered that I'd taken 500 steps less. It'd taken 500 steps off. So I don't know what that's all about. No, it's a joke. It's a joke. Now, some steps are more significant than others within our lives. So if you're kind of stepping onto a plane, that's quite significant. Um, if you're kind of walking down the aisle getting married, I mean, those steps are quite significant, aren't they? Some steps are significant. And I know that some um, are taking some important steps at this moment in time um, to come to faith or to go on to Alpha. Um, Later in March, we're encouraging some people to take a a big step by getting baptized. We're going to have a baptismal service at the end of March. And if you're not baptized and that's a step that you'd like to take, I'm confident that is going to be a great step for you if you've not been baptised in, in water. Like I said, we've got a big tank, and uh, the water only comes up to about here, so don't worry too much. But if you're not baptised, that might be a step that you would like to take. Now, in the New Testament, we read of the early church, just some amazing things going on. And we're going to look at this morning at some of the steps that they took that they were really intentional about. And uh, as we were praying downstairs, we were praying about church and stuff like that, and how determined God is to build his church, isn't he? He says that, basically he says, I'm going to build my church and nothing's going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop me. The gates of hell is not going to stop me. So God is so determined. However, the early believers still had to take intentional steps in order to be the church that God wanted them to be. So we're going to read a few verses from Acts chapter 2, the Verses will come up on the screen, verses 42 to 47, short passage, but well known if you've been around church for a a few years. So this is the start of the early church, the first kind of church that we read about in the New Testament. So verse 42, chapter 2, they devoted themselves, the believers, these thousands of believers, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that is communion, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. 
All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is such an exciting passage of Scripture, and many people have preached on it before me. But Bill Hybels, a leader in America Church, he says there's nothing like the local church when it's working well. There's nothing on this planet like the local church when it's working well. Now, many of us probably think we know how a local church should work, and I'm sure some of our suggestions would be, would be right. It's not just leaders that have ideas about the local church. But I remember when I was a young Christian, a phrase used to go around that something like this, if you find the perfect church, please don't join it. Because it won't be perfect anymore if you join it. Because it's made up of imperfect people. But God is still committed to building his church. But what are some of the main things? Now, as Encounter Church, we talk about uh, our mission statement within it, that we're looking to help people encounter Jesus. We're raising disciples. We're releasing missionaries. Um, but, but, but things don't just happen. There has to be an intentionality about it. And we're going to look at some of the things from this passage that the early church um, were intentional about, that we can still learn today over 2,000 years on. And these come straight out of the passage. And the first one is this, that they recognised that the church was a place to connect, that to build community was something very strongly on God's heart. So even if we're not part of a church, God is so keen about our society that people are connected, that community is built. And it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And in verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together and broke bread in their homes. It is clear that having become Christians, that they were taking intentional steps to connect with each other in a way that they'd never done before. Even though some of them lived in households where they become Christians, they, they'd lived together for periods of time, but they still were intentional in connecting with each other in a way that they'd never connected with each other before. Um, Latini, who's a, an author, he, he wrote a book, The Crisis, The Church and the Crisis of Community. And he said this, I thought it was really good. The first Christians, the early Christians, understood that a decision to follow Christ also included a decision to make the church the hub of their world. So when a person becomes a Christian, it's not just a commitment to Christ, it's a commitment to the body of Christ. It's a commitment to the local church. And we see this lived out with these first believers. So we read that some of them already lived together in their extended households, And others who didn't live together, so it's not all people in these households who became Christians, would regularly connect with each other. And Latini goes on to say, the way that Christians lived in community with one another, despite their social differences, made a profound impact. So the way that they connected with each other caused the the world around them to sit up and take notice that this Christianity thing might be true. It might be real because they saw how these believers connected with each other. 
Now, I'm not suggesting that we all live together. You'll be glad about that. And when I went to Bible college for a year, and um, they made me stay for two. It's not because I was doing badly, it's because I was doing quite well, but I don't, I'd, I'd hate, you know, I like you. But I, I, I wouldn't be good for you. I mean, it's not as if we've all got to live together. And it says that they, they, they met daily. And it's, it's, it's not that we got to get together daily, but you get the idea. You get the idea, the level of connection that we should be intentional uh, about. We might not live together, we might not see each other daily, but we should take opportunities to connect with each other when they are there. So in the New Testament, hospitality is talked about a lot. It challenges leaders, it talks about all the spiritual things, and by the way, be hospitable. Because we should be hospitable with each other. Take those opportunities to connect. It's good to get together, to pray together. I know that some within the church get together in prayer triplets and things like that, in threes and fours on a regular basis, and do that, do that for a period of time, once a month or so often, those connections are, are life-changing. You don't have to last forever, but they are incredibly significant. When we come together to pray on Wednesday night, that's just coming together to connect in such a good way. We encourage you to take those opportunities. We have social events. We have ladies' events. I was going to say we have men's events. We did, and we will. We've not so much recently, but we will. We have prime timers. We have the different age groups. Uh, students get together. It's wonderful student lunches. We encourage you to engage with those kind of things because they're just a way to connect. We also have within the church connect groups. The, name, the clue is in the title. Uh, generically around the world, they're called small groups. We call them connect groups because we want to encourage people to connect. And Joel Komitsky in his, his book, he said, The Future of the Church, he says this, People gather in small groups to experience or enhance their connections to God, their connections to others, and often their connection to their true selves. It's a significant thing that God wants us to connect with others in a personal way. You don't have to share everything about yourself just as you see fit, but there's just a way that we connect with God that we don't connect with God in other settings, and connect with our true self as well. Now I'm going to invite Andy, who heads up, uh, uh, coordinates our connect groups, and we just wanted to take the opportunity this morning to ask one or two people within the church that are a part of connect group, how they find it, and uh, what encouragements they find through it. Thanks, Andy. Hello, everyone. Uh, I invite Anna and Abby on the stage with me, and I'll... uh, I just interview them, just a few questions, and you probably haven't seen Anna or Abby on the stage before, because they're they're faithfully always serving the background, and literally in the background, Anna's on the multimedia team, Abby's on the sound team, and let's give them a round of applause as as they are here. Um, Anna, would you just introduce yourself briefly in case people don't know you, and then Abby afterwards. Hi, my name's Anna. Um, what do you want to... I've got three children. three children. I'm married to Abraham. What do you do, Anna? Um, I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. Very yeah, good. Science teacher. Very good. Thank you, Anna. Abby? So, I'm Abby. Uh, 
So I joined Encounter Church in 2021, and this is my first church actually. Mm-hmm. And I'm a part of youth team and worship team. Yeah. Are you from Abe? I'm from India. From India, very good. Come on, give it up for India. Anyone from India here? Yeah. <laughs> good. Well, Anna, could you tell us a little bit about your connect group? What does it look like when you get together in case? Some people have never experienced Connect Group. What does it look like in your Connect Group? Okay, so currently I'm part of a, a quite a new Connect Group. We started with the Wellbeing um, series last year. And we're very much, we want to keep it nice and short. So we sit down um, and we do a Bible study based on some notes that we've sort of bought in. So we're currently studying um, Nehemiah. And we have discussions for about 45 minutes, and then we pray for about 10, 50 minutes, and we finish and go home. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. What about in your connect group, Abe? You're part of different connect groups. Yeah, so I'm a part of Andy's connect group. So usually we meet on Wednesday evenings, and we share a meal, and then we do a Bible study, and after that we discuss about the chapters and the verse, and then we pray for each other. And at the end, we eat dessert. That's it. Very important. Dessert is very yeah. important. <laughs> and sometimes we do activities. Like recently, we went for badminton. Very mm-hmm. good. Uh, thanks for that. Now, Anna, uh, you've, you've been a Christian for a while, haven't you? You're what we call a mature Christian. But why, why would you... Why would you why do you think it's still important to be part of Connect Group at your, your, your stage in life? And you mentioned that you've got three, three children, you're a busy mom, you're a teacher, teachers are always busy. How, how, do, you fi- how do you find time in your busy schedule to, 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 still, to, to still do this? That's quite a long question. A long question. <laughs> I've forgotten the beginning part of it. Um, I mean, I... I I believe it's, it's good for me and it's good for my family. So I've always, I've, this is the second connect group I've been part of in this church and both were very different. The first one, my children were younger and my husband was working late shifts. So I had no choice to take all of them with me and there was a lot of other children in the connect group and it was very sort of child-centred, very sort of food-centred, community-centred with different ages kind of mixing together, which I think was great because I felt... So blessed that my children knew other adult Christians apart from just sort of me and their dad. So that that was now my children are teenagers, and we sort of invite them along. Alex does come quite regularly to the Connect group. It's more of a discussion, so it's more kind of relevant to their age group. Um, and so that's how I feel it blesses us as a family. And my husband's shifts have changed, so he's able to come. It's actually on a different day, so because I couldn't do Tuesday, Wednesdays because of Alex's football, so that's why ours is on a Tuesday. Um, but So I think there is a lot of flexibility, and within sort of children growing up, it does change the dynamics and what's possible on a weekday for a family. But I found it really valuable... Um, because life is so busy that sort of that's the sort of one little bit of time. And I do kind of, I know in my schedule that I've got to make sure that all my work's done quickly on a Tuesday evening so I can get home in time to get to Connect Group. I do kind of want to do that. I think when, when I started the, um, the, the session that we did, 
the well-being session. I was kind of not sure whether it was something I would be able to carry on, but I found once I was doing it, I actually could fit it in and wanted to fit it in, just because I realised that it was something that I needed to have that sort of being able to have a discussion about faith or about different verses and although I have been Christian for a while I think you know I think every time we meet there's new things that are relevant to the discussions that we have and the questions that come up that are new kind of insights because you don't keep everything in your short-term memory if you're a teacher (laughs) but you know so it's really good to revisit those things and to to have and and, and new perspectives and new decisions situations that come up in life mean that it is important to have that continually, even if you have already sort of studied the Christian faith. Very good. Very good answer, Anna. Now, Abby, you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. You said you're quite new, new to faith. So how did being part of Connect Group help, help you in your, in your journey of faith, being Christian? So what I believe, the most important thing, which it's not possible to do it alone, uh, but in a Connect Group... Uh, we can do Bible study, so I start knowing more about Jesus and the Bible. And uh, I used to be very difficult to pray with, uh, like with other people. But because of the connect group, it's more easier to, for me to do that. And again, after you know, hearing lots of testimonies, it's really encouraged me. Uh, yeah, like that. Very good. Very good. Well, got last question. What's your favorite thing about your connect group? So in our connect group, so it's basically multicultural people are there. So usually we have different, different cultures, food, like Indian, Chinese, <laughs> and British and everywhere. So it's a favorite thing for me. Very good, very good. How about you, Anna? What's the favorite thing about your connect group? I think just that it's, it's a sort of an hour that's set aside and that I know that we're going to be able to sort of talk and uh, about the Bible and just the fact that it's there, I think, really. Um, very good. Well, okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Round of applause for yeah. Abby and Anna. Really good. That was really good. Thank you for that. Yeah, different perspectives and each of us have different stories and people have been in connect groups in the past and not at the moment. There are different seasons, um, but they are a great way to connect with others as well. So the early church certainly saw it as a place to connect. And secondly, it might seem similar. They also saw it as a place to gather. And like I say, it might seem similar, but it is slightly different as well. Because even though they, uh, many of them gathered together in these households or they, they joined a household and met, as we know, quite regularly, they also had these, these larger gatherings like we do on a Sunday. And it was generally on a Sunday post resurrection so they they did meet in homes but they also gathered on a very regular basis it says that in verse 42 that they devote themselves to the apostles teaching and to the fellowship the breaking of bread to prayer everyone was filled with awe they had a time of celebration so as we gather I'm not saying that it's quite the same but they had this time of celebration you get the feeling that it was a celebratory atmosphere as well as they worshipped as they were thankful they shared fellowship, they prayed together, they saw the power of the work of the Holy Spirit, God spoke to them. And back then there weren't many um, venues in order to do that. So whereas you can't walk down a street in this country without seeing a few churches, there weren't really venues to do that, there weren't community venues. 
um, whether churches or not. And so some of them that were quite affluent, um, that become Christians, had quite big houses and had these upper rooms where you could go up on, onto the roof and gather about 120 people. And we know in the book of Acts that uh, people did this. So they would gather regularly um, or weekly, and we know that they had even bigger gatherings in Solomon's colonnade by, around the temple. So whereas they gathered in the small, they also gathered in the large, and they came together. Now this is quite important because it's clear in the New Testament that there's big advantages of gathering in the small and the large. There's different ways in which we encounter God. And in the book, Biblical Foundation of Church, they say something I think is quite important for us today. He says that some today look at the Sunday celebrations as the true church and gathering together in, in smaller groups as less than the real church. Others tend to prioritize the kind of the house um, church as opposed to the gathered church. But from the Apostle Paul's perspective, when he uses the word ecclesia, ecclesia just means the gathering of the people, he says, we see both views of the church as being important, even vital. So in the New Testament, you get the, the, the significance of gathering in larger groups and also in smaller groups. Now, it said right at the start of the passage that we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So in these larger gatherings, uh, the apostles would teach them. They'd bring out um, truths from the Bible, truths about Christianity. And it says that they were kind of, they devoted themselves to this because they knew how important it was to be fed, they knew how important it was to be taught, reminded, uh, encouraged. And uh, I don't know how long you've been uh, a Christian, but you might be somebody that's been a Christian for a while and uh, you're thinking, Phil, I've heard so many sermons. I've heard loads of them. And, and as I've said before, somebody once says there's a fine line between a sermon and a hostage situation. And, but you know, over the years, I've had many meals, spiritually or physically as well. And, but I can't remember, you know, if you ask me what I ate last Monday, I can't. Remember, I know I didn't cook it, but, but I can't remember what it was, but, but I ate. And the fact that we've eaten many times doesn't mean it's not important to be fed now. It is important to be fed on a regular basis. And some people in this day and age like to benefit from the internet, and that's opened up new possibilities and kind of COVID has pointed us in that direction a little bit. These other possibilities to be fed. And they're good opportunities, but my take on this is that we don't live on fine dining. We don't live on fine dining. Now, our children have been fine dining two or three times in their lives. We've never been. Never been, but there you go. But we don't live on fine dining. And it says that they devoted themselves, it's very important, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. This was a community thing. This was learning together. This was being part of a community, not just, obviously they couldn't look online. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, very important, all scripture is God-breathed. All scripture is God-breathed. And it goes on to say how useful and important it is for building us up, for correcting us, to challenging us, so that the man of God, the woman of God, 
can be fully equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. And A.W. Tozer says this, among the many wonders of Holy Scripture is their ability frequently to compress into a sentence truth so vast, so complex, as to require a whole shelf of books to expound them. It's amazing. The Bible is incredible. And, you know, I thought it was great what Anna was sharing and uh, Abhijit was sharing, that I know that once a week I'm going to be fed in a certain way, and it's important for us to take those time. Now, it's good for us to have corporate worship as well, and you could have a whole message on that. It's great that, you know, we have people join us as a church regularly on a Sunday. Now, we don't get people, if they're new, to kind of put their hands up and say that they're new or stand on a chair or make themselves known, uh, because that being a little bit embarrassing. But, But nearly every week, we have people that are new coming into our church. Now, here in this passage that we read, he says that people, God added to them daily those who were being saved, which is very exciting. But it was regularly, regular. And I like to think that here in Encounter Church, we've got a big front door. Now, you say, well, the front door's not big. That's not quite what I mean. It's because we're just so open for people to come and join us and to be part of us. And if you're here for the first time today, we're delighted that you are with us. But let me say this, it's not just for new people, it's, that it's a big thing, even for those that have been part of the church for ages, sometimes it's a big thing to come through the door. It's still a big thing. And uh, our welcome team has very good press and how good they're welcoming people. But let me say this, we're all the welcome team. It's all of us, it's all of our role in order to be welcoming to each other and to new people. It's so important. And I love some of the stories over these last few weeks even of how some people have ended up here, that they've set out to go somewhere on a Sunday. They weren't even intending to come here, but they've ended up here. Um, it's not as if we've kidnapped them or anything like that. But, but just the way that God works, isn't it? And it's a wonderful thing. So a church is a, you know, the early church knew that it was a place to connect, it was a place to gather, and uh, the third area, a place to serve. It's quite clear that these early believers knew that the local church was a place to serve. It says that in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. When it says together, I think that what it's saying, all believers knew that they were in it together. We're in this together. This is not just a few. This is not just the apostles. We're in this uh, together. We are part of this. Now, Isaac talked last week about how local church and even encounter is a place where people can serve or choose to serve, and there's different seasons of that, but it's a place where we can all serve, so I'm not going to speak too much about that. But um, within our Christian lives, God has a calling upon us. He's given us gifts in order to use But it's still, even if it's not our main ministry, it's good for us all to find a place, well, where we can just serve. Where we can just help. Because help is needed. It doesn't distract from our main ministry, but it's just help is needed. Now we're one body with many parts. One part of the body can't say this is more important than the others because we need all the parts together. And, and it's not just about keeping the show on the road. It's not just so that we can meet here. It, it's, it's so that the purposes of the church can be fulfilled. And there's a lot of different things that help with that. 
Now, a few weeks ago, I, I mentioned that I really liked something that uh, was written in um, Neil Hudson's book um, called Imagine Church, and it's really about whole life discipleship, the whole of life. And I think it's really good. And, uh, I, I, and I think he's kind of forcing the issue a little bit because he talks about whole life coffee rotors. Although coffee does take up a lot of our lives nowadays, doesn't it? And uh, Michael Green, who's uh, Mark Green, sorry, who's a, a great theologian, um, he kind of Neil quotes him in this book, and he talks about the coffee rotor and the tasks of how it come, becomes a tool for mission, and what the job description for the coffee rotor tends to be for a typical church on a Sunday morning. He says, goes something like this. 10 o'clock, lay out 90 mugs, 8 plates of biscuits, 35 beakers, load the coffee machine with coffee. And then you find that the worship team come in and nick it. After their, anyway, it doesn't say that here. 10.20, turn on water, the water boiler. 10.28, check the water is heating, go into the service. 11.30, leave the worship service, put the biscuits on place. Brew the tea, surface ends, start clearing up. And then he goes on to say this. That's the job description, but surely that's not the job. Yes, all those tasks have to be done. However, serving coffee really isn't about getting coffee into people's veins, but about getting people into conversation. We don't urge people to stay for coffee at the end of the service because we fear that they'll collapse from dehydration after sitting through a service. Uh, the coffee time is not about coffee, you can tell that by the standard of coffee in most churches. (laughs) Ours is good, ours is good, ours is good. The coffee time is about creating a space where relationships can be formed and strengthened. And beyond that, the job of people on the rotor, he goes on to say that that's why we appreciate it. Not because it's a rotor, not because it's putting a boiler on, because it's helping people to connect. And it doesn't have to be the Coffee doesn't have to be the welcoming teams, but the things that we can do in a practical level that really do contribute to the life and mission of the church and people uh, connecting. And I've known people over the years in my previous churches that even say it in the right way, that people have even just helped washing up. I remember one lady over three weeks just helped wash up after the service. And she'd been in the church for a few years, and for some reason she said to one of our elders after the service, she said... Um, I really feel part of the church now because I'm in this with you. We're in this together, even though they were simple things. So the early church is clear that uh, the place to uh, connect, place to gather, a place to serve. And finally, the fourth one, just to mention four, um, a place to give. It is clear from this passage and, and passages in the book of Acts that they, they saw it as a place to give. And going back to the early churches who read these verses, that giving was definitely part of what they did. In verse 44 and 45 it says, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were in it together. And it says, they even selling their possessions and good and gave to others who were in need. And uh, also in Scripture, in Acts, we read about how people kind of um, gave money and put it at the feet of the apostles, just say, you know, just do with this what you think God is saying that the church should be doing. And, uh, and it's, uh, it, I'm not going to all the detail, but it's hard to explain how significant that was. 
back then how people held on to their own money. If you ever gave money, it always had strings attached. You always owed them somebody. If, if, if there was no such thing as giving away. But that is one of the radical miracles that we read in the New Testament, that people give with no strings attached, which is incredible. And we read that, we talk about how there was offerings for um, when there was famines in different parts of the, the known world at the time. So they were giving as the need was that. Now here is a, a church, an encounter church. We uh, mentioned a few times recently we have a, a wonderful nursery with about 100 children in. It does kind of contribute to the life and mission of the church financially at times. It's, it's, it's a help for us. But most of the giving or most of the finances that come into the church is through us that are part of Encounter Church. Uh, we give to the life and mission of the church. And it was good, wasn't it, to see the picture montage of just some of the things that went on in 2022. There's lots of other things that went on as well. And it's good to see the life within the church. And we wanted to show the montage because you'd see some of the things that we do do as a church. You see where some of the income goes, how some of it is spent. And we uh, outline this a little bit at our AGM. As a church, we have an annual general meeting for members, and we encourage people to become members, so we'll kind of mention that in the near future. But some of our income that comes in go for these kind of mission initiatives. We are one church with two locations. Some of you know that... uh, there's an encounter church in Weedy Castle. We're together, and we, saw, we support that mission initiative. And it's great that over the last 12 months that that has really grown. And uh, they are impacting the mission. There's new people coming in from all over the place. People are becoming Christians. So it's wonderful as a church to actually invest in that community and invest in that church. We also give to other mission initiatives locally, CAP, Christians Against Poverty, Safe Families for Children, uh, Agape. We as a church want to invest in work amongst children, amongst youth, amongst students, different groups from different backgrounds. We give quite a bit of money overseas as well as the need arises. We support church planting through Elam in Cambodia, in Nepal. We have sent um, money for... um, um, famine relief and and other kind of things like tornadoes over the years we've given to Nepal, we've been given to the Philippines, we've given to Ukraine, we've given to India Um, and it's just wonderful to know that uh, some of the income goes to relief and support in different parts of the world. We invest at times within our building, you saw the difference between uh, one platform and the other in 2022 so yeah, so we're investing in the building. Um, we invested in a coffee lounge downstairs, uh, a kids' room. So there's lots more that we'd like to do. So there's always ideas of how we can be more missional. Now, why do we give? Why we give? Let me say a couple of things about this. Because people think, you know, even if you go carol singing, they want to give you money, don't they? Because they think you're only there to get money. They think the church just wants your money, but it's not true. Um, but why do we give? Because we give because it's a way of thanking God, isn't it? It's a way of thanking God. It's a way of saying, God, we trust you as well, which is a wonderful thing. We trust you. Uh, secondly, for me, it's a wonderful to know that some of our money, call it our money for me and Wendy, we, we know that some of it is going to the advancement of God's kingdom. I'm glad that some of our, our, our money goes towards that. We can spend it on a lot of things, and we, we, we're good spenders, by the way. 
We are good spenders. But it's wonderful to know that some of it goes towards that. And, you know, we're delighted um, to give to Encounter Church because it says we're in this together. You know, this is all of us. I love, love to give to a local church uh, as well. So how much should I give? Let me just say in closing one or two things about this. How much should I give? I'm not going to tell you how much you should give. And um, now I, in the Old Testament and, and the New as well, it talks about tithing. I think it's a great principle, tithing, and good thing to work towards, but... Um, uh, I think that's a good thing. But, but the principles that I kind of, that come out of um, 2 Corinthians are really good. So the first one is this. Um, in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6, it says, it's good to give generously. That is the first principle. It's good to give generously. It says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. It's amazing how giving generously blesses others, but there's a spiritual dynamic that opens us up to receive. You know, it's just even spiritually and relationally or with any act of life, if we kind of hold things to ourselves, then we close ourselves off to blessings that God can give. By being generous, we open ourselves up. It's not as if you give a tenner, God's going to give you a hundred, but it opens us up for God to bless us generously as well, because we don't hold on to everything. So it's good to give generously. Uh, Secondly, it's good to give regularly, because it goes on to say, each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give. So I'm not going to tell you what to give, uh, but what this is saying is, is give what you've decided in your heart to give. So it's kind of good to give regularly, because you set it in your heart to give regularly a certain amount. Now, that's not as if that can't be adjusted, but what is good is that you, we don't just decide, okay, well, I'll see what I've got left over. Now, I've decided this is what I'm going to give, and this is what I'm going to give means I haven't got it. I'm not going to spend it on that. But I, so basically saying, give generously, but also set in your heart what you're going to give. That's a good thing to do. And thirdly, it says, give cheerfully. Give cheerfully. Now, before COVID, when we handed the basket round, you should see how people laughed when we gave it. Joking. <laughs> it doesn't mean that people got to burst out laughing when they give or anything like that. But give cheerfully because it says, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We do it because we love God, because we're giving it because we know that it's something that we want to do. And it says, don't do it under compulsion. Now, I remember, I'd not, before I moved to Birmingham, I've not visited Birmingham very much, but about 25 years ago, I visited Birmingham for a, a, a leaders' conference. People came from all over the country. There's about 600 leaders. I can't, don't even know where it was. But the person who was leading the meetings really enjoyed, was really into offerings. I mean, really into offerings. So, really pushed the offerings several times. The basket ran around several times. And if the amount didn't add up later in the meeting to what he thought it should be, it went round again. And, um, and now I like to give to good causes, but it was so pushy, so pushy, that the second and third day of the conference, I didn't take my checkbook. 
used to have a thing called checks in the past. I don't know if you know this. You could write out the amount. And I didn't take my checkbook, not because I didn't want to give, but I didn't want to be pushed into giving. And, um, but that doesn't mean there's times where we can do something that's just really exorbitant, just really amazingly generous. I remember in my, one of my previous churches that um, uh, the welcome team also counted the offering at the end of the service. Um, I could see they were really excited because somebody had put in the offering a cheque for £9,400. They are really excited. As the pastor, I wasn't fussed, really. But they were really excited. Then, then two weeks later, somebody put in a cheque for 4500 Now, the person with 9400 I wrote a letter to thank them. They said, nobody was supposed to know. Well, I said, your name's on the cheque. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gives it away a little bit. So I thought I'd thank them. But there has been times when people said, I've, you know, it's strange really, but said, they come to me and says, you know, I know I'm going to come into money and I want to give the church this and I'm just telling you now. And they weren't telling me now because they wanted to, me to say thank you. They wanted to tell me now because they said, I really want to follow through on it. When the time comes, I want to do it. So they probably would have done it anyway. But uh, there's times when God lays on our hearts or because we're thankful to God, we want to be amazingly generous. I'm not saying this because... We want more money. It's, that is just the good things about being part of the kingdom of God, that God touches our heart, doesn't it? To do extraordinary things that people in the world would think were crazy. But God has been so generous to us, hasn't he? He's been so good to us. And there's times that you know our hearts can really overflow with generosity to him. And he goes on at the end of... Um, these verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need. He will be generous to us. So how might we give? I'm not going to go into that, but I will say that we have produced a, a leaflet about giving. Um, it's very colourful. It's on the welcome desk, and that just explains the different ways that people can give if they'd like to give. Uh, either online or on a Sunday morning. We really encourage people, if they um, pay tax or pay income tax, that they can gift aid all their offerings, so 25% can be added to it, but there's information about there. But the early church we read today is just a wonderful view of what the church can be like. It has its challenges, but it doesn't just happen. We have to take steps. We have to be intentional about certain things. And they were highly intentional. They saw it as a place to connect, a place to gather, a place to serve, and a place to give. And I just encourage you this, this week, I'm not just going to now have a quiet song as to how, what we need to do, but just encourage, say, Lord, what steps should I take over these next few months? And the last verse, it says this, uh, it said, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. God is so committed to his church growing and his kingdom advancing and uh, these are good opportunities for us. I'm going to invite the band to come up and join me if they would and uh, in a moment we're going to feel, uh, finish with a, a last song and I'm going to invite you to stand, been sitting for a while, spoken for a while and uh, had testimonies 
And maybe within your own heart, we're going to sing a song of celebration. (laughs) And uh, just for 30 seconds, say, Lord, is there something that you're speaking to me about this morning? Or you can even say to the Lord, Lord, I feel that you're speaking to me about this. I'm not sure, but will you confirm it? Just going to leave 30 seconds uh, just for you to reflect for a few moments.